The actual um, farmland conversion is um, about a thousand square feet is equal to about five acres of traditional farmland. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. Today's episode is brought to you by Ollie Jones. Thank you so much, Ollie, for supporting the show on Patreon. It is thanks to you and people like you supporting the show on Patreon that this show is even able to exist. So we all thank you so much. And if you would like to contribute to the show like Ollie has, just head on over to patreon.com slash half hour intern. In today's episode, we speak with Chelsea Turner and Anthony Krumick, who are urban agriculture experts. So they are uh, part of the team at urbanagtech.com. And uh, in this episode, we will talk about what exactly constitutes urban agriculture and, uh, and how and what are the best ways for us to grow food in an urban setting. I learned so much in this episode, you guys, and uh, and I am really excited to start growing stuff at my house. I don't live in too urban of a setting, but yet, you know, I just have a tiny little yard here in Phoenix, and uh, it's not like the most hospitable place to be growing food. But after hearing their stories, um, like uh, Anthony growing food in Israel and Chelsea growing food inside a warehouse in the middle of Las Vegas that... Uh, that it just produced incredible amounts of food for the community. Um, it's very inspiring, and I think that you will learn a lot of cool tips in this episode for how you might uh, grow some some good food for yourself as well. So without further ado, here is Urban Agriculture. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get started with some of the more like detailed questions, if you could please just give us a quick definition of urban agriculture, because obviously it's one of those things where you hear the words urban agriculture and it's, it sounds like it just makes sense. Like it's agriculture in an urban setting. But if you could give us a more like full definition than that of what you interpret urban agriculture to be. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in for this one. So Agriculture, as people traditionally know it, is, uh, you know, food grown in a field. And that works, and we've done that for a long time. And so urban agriculture really starts off where you start saying, how do we use our space a lot more efficiently? And how do we get uh, food production closer to the cities? And so that starts to, that opens up a world of things that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, indoor, hydroponics, vertical farming. You know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, different methods of doing that. But basically, it's all about really efficient, small square footage kind of growing that's uh, closer to a city. All right. So let's talk about those different methods. So, and when you say closer to a city, can these things be done just straight up in a city as well? Yes, absolutely. They can be, you know, you can take over a big abandoned warehouse and retrofit the whole inside and start growing a lot of food. Um, You can also do it on a rooftop though, or you can do it on small plots of land in a city. So quite a few ways. Okay, cool. So let's talk about those different ways. So what are kind of the different major methods and locations and stuff like that, that urban agriculture can be done? Yeah. So, so some of the big ones um, that I already mentioned, obviously we've got uh, indoor. So just growing indoor, which can either use, oftentimes it's hydroponic. So hydroponic to give people definition there 
just means that the plants are being grown in water. So usually this looks like a whole bunch of pipes and tubes running around underneath the plants and the plants roots go into them. Um, and the water is what is also used to provide the nutrients. So hydroponic indoors one way. Um, usually there's a big question about where's the light coming from. So if it's in a warehouse, might not have enough sunlight. Plants need a lot of sunlight. So in that case, they might be growing under a lot of LEDs. Um, but there are places uh, like Israel where they're doing indoor uh, or they're doing urban agriculture rather but on a rooftop. And so they're still using hydroponics, but in that case, they've got the sun. And so the sun provides all of the light that they need. Um, indoors, people often start to do vertical farming as well in different forms of uh, basically, how do you take a small square footage and then start stacking things up and going high and using kind of the fall, all the space that you have and, uh, and the sun even at lower angles, being able to penetrate and reach all of those different plants. Um, but again, you need a lot of light. So that's oftentimes in a glass greenhouse that allows lighting from all angles. And then, you know, kind of the typical, the old school urban ag is just people having a community garden and, and growing outside, growing on a small patch of land, but just being really precise about getting the most at every square foot that they've got. And that can still yield, uh, you know, that can still yield real production, uh, especially inside of small communities. And it can make a difference. Uh, getting fresh food into places that, that typically didn't have it before. Definitely. Uh, but those are some of the big ones I think of. Chelsea, did I miss any that you think we should add? No, I think those are the main methods. And like you said, you know, bringing agriculture closer um, into the cities, because let's let's just be frank, our cities are growing, right? Um, and, you know, we don't want to pollute the way that we are with the food miles and, you know, all of these things. So bringing things in closer is going to be a hundred percent necessary uh, in our future. So that's why I think, you know, this urban agriculture is such an important industry to talk about. Um, and those are, you know, definitely, I'm glad you pointed out the community gardens and things like that. There's places like fleet farming that are growing in people's front yards, um, that they're just, you know, actual food instead of, you know, just, gar just, um, plants Grass. and things like that. Exactly. It, so you're so starting see that it's so great it, it like uh, in any of the ways that you guys are talking about like I, I was just so i just left san francisco where you guys are both at um but it's such a nice thing in san francisco when you're going for a walk and you just stumble upon some sort of community garden and uh it's just beautiful and it really like enriches the area and i would have to imagine the same with pretty much all these other types of uh urban agriculture that you guys are talking about like if someone were to let me up onto their rooftop of their apartment building and there was this freaking garden up there like that's going to be a way cooler rooftop now like there there is a obviously the functional practical piece of of having food and reducing carbon footprint like you're talking about chelsea but there is just like a, a visual awesomeness to, hey, there's a garden here and it's not just so urban. Yeah, Blake, and I think that that awesomeness, as you as you called it, it, it extends beyond even just just the aesthetic beauty of it. Um, and so when you measure and you start to look at what's the impact of bringing agriculture back into a city, there's really a lot of different metrics that you have to look at that it becomes hard to actually figure out what's the, what's the value here beyond because it goes beyond just the food production. And it's things like realizing that plants have a certain effect on on humans. That's just that's shown and it relaxes us. It de-stresses us. And it's obviously also clearing. Uh, it's cleaning the air. Right. And it's producing uh, healthier air for everybody who's in that immediate area. And they show that, you know, trees have this huge value. I think there's a study that was done in uh, I think it might have been Canada that was trying to 
kind of figure out what's the economic impact of a tree on a street and how much does it reduce uh, healthcare costs for people. And they're tied to a whole lot of different reasons, some of which are kind of difficult to tease out. But there really are a lot of other benefits uh, that come that have to be uh, sort of thought about. Yeah, we're just meant to be by nature in some in some form. And yeah, you shouldn't have to be fully isolated just because you're in a city. Um, man, that's so cool. So uh, in Chelsea, Anthony mentioned earlier about, oh, you could like have a warehouse and do some vertical stuff and this and that. From talking with you earlier, didn't you do some awesome warehouse thing? And was it in Las Vegas or something like that? Yeah, so that's exactly it. Um, I actually lived in a high rise uh, on the Las Vegas Strip. Now, nobody would imagine that would lead into having a farm five minutes away from the strip, but it did because I realized I couldn't grow anything. I'm like, you know, any normal methods of farming and getting healthy food, there was just no options. I'm in a desert. I'm in a high rise. I literally don't have a patio. I, I ha- how the, how am I going to grow anything? So I ended up going to the farmer's market as small as it was at the time and finding microgreens, um, which are these really neat little things that you can grow in seven days in a window. Um, and you don't need a lot of space. So what ended up happening is we have a farm that is about five minutes away from the strip. It's indoor vertical. It's a thousand square feet. And it produces uh, microgreens for restaurants and farmers markets. And we also teach people to actually do that in their homes. And the whole funny phrase was turning Vegas green one window at a time. But the idea (laughs) is, is if you can grow in Vegas, a desert with not a lot of water, not a lot of, you know, option space, you know, all these different things, um, you know, then you can grow anywhere in the world. I mean, you really can't like there is no harsher. I mean, maybe a couple places in the Middle East, but Vegas is about as harsh as environments get. Right. And I think Anthony, you know, he just went to Israel and Israel is actually known for being what you said, you know, maybe the Middle East or somewhere over there. Israel is actually known for being a very difficult place to grow as well. And they have a lot of um, advances in urban agriculture just naturally because they had to they had to survive. Um, Anthony, do you have I know your friend was doing the rooftop gardening there as well. Um, But what are the advances, you know, that they had to figure out um, being in a desert as well? A lot of people know that Israel is a desert. Yeah, I mean, constraint breeds uh, breeds creativity. Right. And so they they went back there, back to the homeland. And then suddenly it was like, all right, well, how are we going to you know, how are we going to feed all these people? And um, the big one is that Israel led the way with a lot of water innovation, Um, drip tape, as we know, I believe, you know, came from Israel and. there was also a lot of uh, greenhouse and hydroponic use and pretty in ways that's different than the way that we use it here. Um, that was what is, pioneered sorry, what is drip tape? Israel. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, yeah. So, so drip tape is a method of supplying water to a field. So if you imagine for a second, you know, uh, you've got a yard and you've got a sprinkler going in the middle of the day and it's shooting water up all over, you know, very picturesque, the sun shining through the raindrops and kids are splashing about. Well, if your goal is actually just to deliver water to the roots of the plants, that's terribly inefficient, right? And most of that water is going to evaporate and it's going to, you know, it's not going to end up where it should be. So drip tape is basically taking a little rubber tube and running it along where you planted your seeds right along. Okay. The base yeah. The just a drip system like most holes. people are familiar with. Yep. And just having the holes and then dripping in. But that's, you know, that, that itself was an innovation and a, a pretty critical one for, for water delivery. That's um, so, so interesting. To innovate water delivery. I feel like most people, well, I mean, like myself, I just figured that that was just, you know, some landscape designer in America or something that designed that. It, it makes sense that it was bore out of actual need and not just because it's a good design. 
Yeah, and, it, and it's sort of, uh, you know, lasted the, the test of time here, right? Because it's such a simple thing is still uh, such a big piece of agriculture because agriculture is all about efficiency. You've really got to, you know, your costs have to be low, low, low for, uh, for agriculture to work out. The margins are very thin. Right, right. So please tell us a little bit more about hydroponics, because you mentioned um, with the roots going into the tube systems and this and that. Are you implying that there is no soil? Is it a very minimal amount of soil? Um, what what happens in that sort of situation? Yeah, there's there's a good amount of variety there. So um, roots need to grab onto something. Usually, so roots need to grab onto something, um, which they people refer to as like a soilless medium. So they will create things that are pretty sterile environments that the roots can hold on to. So some of these look like uh, clay pellets or one you can just imagine little kind of like marbles, like having a whole bunch of them in a little basket and the plants roots will grab onto that. And then they'll kind of extend out of the basket into the water. And then, you know, at that point it's fine. Um, other ones are things like coconut core, which is a, which is a byproduct of the coconut industry. Um, and it's all the husks and it's really good at retaining water. And again, providing the uh, kind of aeration that roots need because roots also, they need air in addition to water and nutrients. Air is a really critical thing for roots. So you kind of have to get the right blend. Otherwise you end up, you know, if they were just straight up in the water, then you've got to add a bubbler of some sort to make sure that there's enough oxygen in the water for the roots. So there's a variety of different soilless medium that people might've heard of even like things like perlite and vermiculite. If they've ever kind of done some gardening and found a, you know, uh, like especially container gardening, right? And they went to get a mix. And we actually kind of, we, we forgot to mention this, but container gardening in all of its various forms, that is also definitely uh, a method of doing urban agriculture because urban environments, a lot of people don't have a yard, but they have a patio or they have a sunny balcony or, you know, some spot like that. Um, so even container gardening, I think, qualifies. And so that's where people might have been familiar with things like perlite and vermiculite and other stuff that, uh, is basically there to help retain more water and add air, which are problems that you would encounter in a container. But then people do them in hydroponics as well. So that's they use a variety of those different uh, substrates or medium for the roots to grab onto. And different plants have different uh, different needs in terms of you know how much support they need from below. So there's kind of a bit of a variation there. But I'll I'll stop there. That's cool. So basically. There's any number of things that you can try to mimic. So it, it the the plant doesn't necessarily need soil as long as you're giving it something else to grab on to something for the root structure to grab onto, and then providing um, the same sorts of nutrients that the soil would give it. it that will will take the place of the soil. Yeah, and then the the source of the nutrients starts to become a big area of debate because that that's where you get into well, you know where are these nutrients coming from? Are these um, people will think about like may have heard the term like agrochemicals, right? And these chemicals and nitrogen and fertilizers that they just pour onto the earth and are actually really bad. And there's a lot of runoff and um, bypassing the really natural process of plants actually getting all their nutrients from the microbes in the soil. Because the real way that the system works is that the there's all sorts of uh, organic matter in the soil, and that's broken down by the microbes. And the microbes are kind of right along the roots of the plant, and they supply those nutrients uh, directly to the plant's roots. And so that's kind of the way the normal system works. And so as you get into these other systems, I mean, they're not, they are not totally lacking microbes either. So it's kind of this interesting question of, well, when you're supplying them, like, where are they coming from and what's what's kind of going on in there and how... How natural are these? Um, and kind of just a funny sort of side point here is that 
it's very hard for, and I'm not actually, actually sure, Chelsea might be able to chime in on this, but for a long, long time, hydroponic has not been able to get an organic certification because organic required that you actually grew in the ground, in soil. And so they were like, what is this other method doesn't qualify, even though some of that might actually be grown with practices that are even better than some of the organic growers. So, right, you know, very that, clean that's been and very sterile. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and mostly just good, you know, very, uh, they might be using actually great holistic practices. They might be using great sources of nutrients in a hydroponic setup. Um, and I think some of them may have started to get the first certifications now, but it's it's very recent if so. Okay, interesting. Chelsea, I'd love to go back to Las Vegas if we could for a second. You mentioned that this warehouse that you were uh, working in was a thousand square feet. That's pretty freaking big. And then you were doing uh, vertical growing. Were you only vertical growing on like, two or four of the walls or were there also strips like coming down in the middle for more vertical growing or were you just growing in flats in the middle but then growing on the walls like what was the exact setup yeah um that's a great question so we actually have a youtube video that kind of went viral um of someone showing the farm because it is so efficient for that thousand square feet we were producing you know quite a bit of microgreen trays basically to supply all of the farmers markets needs and you know over a dozen restaurants so um what it is is there's rows um shells if you will and we did this very inexpensively so this is something that you want to know what really grinds my gears in the in the in the industry? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but one of them is is that you know we all think that you know urban agriculture has to be very expensive. We need the best LEDs. We need you know the craziest, most expensive nutrients. We need all of these different things. But for what we were doing, we came up with a prototype that we could basically be up and running in two weeks, and we would have food for that for a food desert, if you will, um, anywhere in the world and for very inexpensive. So what we did is it's all made with two by fours and it is shelves. And so we had about one, two, three to four shelves going vertically. And it would be along the walls. It would be up in the middle, just like you said. Um, We had about um, one, two, three, four. We had about, um, I mean, the place was full. Um, of shelves, basically, um, some for seating and some for with lights. So almost and like a library, had, but with plants instead of books. Exactly. I always used to want to have like a ladder that I could like, you know, slide. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My plants. Yeah. People ask um, you where a specific plant is. You could be like the librarian and like, oh, yeah. yes, that's section A2. Yeah. That is exactly uh, um, what I imagined. But um, we did have two hydroponic tables that were on top of each other. So that's another interesting way to go about, you know, vertical farming um, instead of just having the one hydroponic table where you, we could grow lettuces and all sorts of um, fun, you know, things that people could eat that were very nutrient dense. So we definitely used the space efficiently and we only used about five to 10 gallons of water a day for the entire farm. That's incredible. Did you uh, ever calculate or do you have any like numbers nerds there or anything that tried to figure out? like your exact output and what it would equate to in terms of uh, square footage in, you know, just farmland? Yeah, the actual um, farmland conversion is um, about a thousand square feet is equal to about five acres of traditional farmland. Damn, so that is incredible. That That's Correct. so awesome. That's so, so awesome. And you said five to 10 gallons a day of water? 
Correct. Now, For, mind you, wow. this is growing microgreens and some hydro, you know, hydroponic lettuces and things like that. Um, but for microgreens particularly, um, and they're very nutrient dense greens. So for a food desert, for instance, you know, one handful of, let's say the broccoli I was growing, um, one handful of that broccoli equals a pound and a half of broccoli nutrients. So when you think about nutrients that's coming out of a, that small of a farm, it's, it's astronomical. Wait, explain explain that to us. So I so there's kind of like more benefits even with urban agriculture than traditional agriculture. How does that happen and why is this happening? So microgreens are a bit different. Basically, it's any plant within, you know, a week to two weeks of its life cycle. So, you know, broccoli, kale, we've got radish, beets. You know, all of these things as a microgreen. So we would basically harvest it. That's what this means. We would harvest it two weeks into its life cycle. So every plant goes seed, sprout, microgreen, baby green, and then it gets big. And so when you harvest it, the benefit is harvesting at this stage is that's very nutrient dense, four to 40 times more nutrient dense than the big version of themselves. Now, this was a study done at the University of Maryland that took about 20 different varieties of plants and did a intense, you know, um, very in-depth um, study about the nutrient density um, and everything from vitamin A to beta carotene to, you know, all the things, antioxidants, um, and found the 40, four to 40 times more nutrient dense. Wow, that's incredible. Now, with these microgreens, are you like with some of the lettuces and stuff like that? Are you able to just cut off the top and let them keep growing, or do you then have to yank them every time and reseed, or, or what was the whole process? That that's a great question. Um, what's so how plants work? And I I like to always explain this because it was something I didn't know going into this. I was a you know, I totally never thought I'd be a farmer. And so, you know, learning about plants was, it, it, it helped my understanding of eating healthy and understanding plants better. So getting back to the actual plant. So a plant needs the actual leaves to gather all the nutrients um, from, you know, the light that comes in and then creates the nutrients from that. So without the, without um, leaves, it won't be able to get any of the nutrients or regrow. So with that being said, if you're harvesting and you're cutting off the leaves, then it will not regrow. Okay. Now, there are some um, varieties that will regrow, such as pea shoots. Um, you just leave a couple of the leaves, and they will have a one or two more grow cycles, which is kind of neat. Um, so there's things like that, that that's really exciting. Um, yeah. So what did make you get into this, by the way? How you were just saying it's not something that you ever kind of would have seen for yourself. Like, what, what happened exactly? So... I was really, really in depth with health and wellness. I wanted to figure out how can I be the most healthy, you know, do the most for the earth, do the most for my environment. Um, but I also drove a Mustang and lived in a high rise. Right. So that's a lot <laughs> of the issue that most of us have. Absolutely. You know, we want to do more. We want to be better people for our you know, future kids and all these things. But at the end of the day, we have lives and, you know, we're kind of in the the culture that has been set up for us. Uh, so what happened was, is obviously healthy people go to farmer's markets, right? We're like, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll go to farmer's market, buy local, which is a great option. Um, I met a farmer there and they had these little baby greens. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are so great in these in my smoothie in the morning. And it tastes way better than, you know, the full grown kale and, you know, all of these things. And I was so excited about it. The problem is, is I saw people walk by and not know what they were and they didn't, buy them. 
so the idea started to kind of get into my head and I was like, well, I can't grow them. I have no green thumb. That's not a thing. I can't grow. (laughs) Well, what happened was, is this farmer convinced me, Hey, try it out. I know you're in a high rise, put this in your window. It's the size of a plate. If you have a size of, if you have room for a plate in your 600 foot studio, then you have room for a farm. And that really excited me. I was like, really? So I tried it and I was successful. Me, the no green thumb girl was successful at growing my own food. I can't tell you how much benefit I got from that. The confidence that came from it, the health benefits that came from it, um, just all the excitement around it. And I didn't even like plants. So once I realized this, I felt like everybody needed to know about this. Um, You know, urban agriculture, the big issue with it is, in my opinion, is that people are afraid of it. You know, it's like, I want to have a patio garden. I want to grow in my backyard, but it's daunting. I need to go to a hydroponic store with all the potheads and I need to, you know, figure out what nutrients and I have to listen to, you know, a thousand podcasts and read a bunch of books. And, you know, I don't have time for that. So what I thought microgreens did is it was like the honeymoon phase of farming. It was something that just got people interested that anybody could do. um, And maybe it even got them interested and excited and more confident to be able to bring in a little bit of health and life into the cities and start their urban ag adventure. I think the other concern that many people have, like one, like you said, is like, all right, well, how much time is this going to take? And is this just going to be very overwhelming? And the other major thing is kind of a, it sounds like a concern that you had, uh, which is not having a green thumb. Like most people have maybe um, been at Trader Joe's or something and like gotten a little plant of basil and had it promptly die on them, you know, or like they just have a a plant on their desk in their office that just is dead right now, you know? Uh, I guess, what would you say to people like that that are like, I just, uh, look, I, I know I could try this, but there's no way I'm going to like actually be able to grow something. Like, this is my favorite question of all time, um, <laughs> because I, I worked at farmer's markets and talked to thousands of people who gave me that exact thing. And the first thing I would say is my farm, farmer, uh, you know, partner basically gave me a houseplant that I, like you said, promptly killed, even though I could keep a whole farm of microgreens alive. So <laughs> my point is, is that um, what I always tell people is you know, the, it's not that we don't have green thumbs. It's that we don't make it a priority to, to grow, to keep something alive for months at a time. That's not producing something for ourselves. Right. So if you have a house plant, you water it for that first week. Cause you're super excited about it. You're like, Oh, I got my plant and I named it and I'm going to keep him alive. And he's so cute and all this stuff. And then, you know, life happens and you forget to water. And now all of a sudden you just think you can't grow anything. Um, so there's that, I think it's, it's a false reality that we think we don't have green thumbs because, you know, of things like that. Um, and then I'd also say that we have to get our confidence up with, with things that actually work. Um, there's a lot of products out there that don't work, that are appealing to the people that, you know, you know, want to grow something, but not sure how, and it's to make money. And so it really brings, um, our collective you know, confidence down, which is really sad for our industry. Um, so I would say, you know, for all those people who are like, I just don't have a green thumb, start with microgreens is my, I mean, I just, me personally is so excited about that because it is easy. And the other thing is, is that I'm very optimistic about the direction of this industry because there is so much innovation in this industry right now. Um, you know, Anthony and I are working with Urban Ag Tech, and we see so many people um, in, you know, 
San Francisco, the base of where all these, you know, innovative people are getting into the ag industry, making it easier for people who don't have green thumbs. So my optimism about this is everybody who feels like they don't have a green thumb, start looking into this. There are things for you um, and um, there's more to come. Right. There's going to be more that well, there already is some technology for you and there's going to be more of it. Um, man, that's so interesting. So you're big on the microgreens bandwagon. Anthony, I, I would love to give people some advice here. So uh, what else do you think, like if somebody is listening to this and they maybe want to give it a try, uh, what do you think maybe like seems to be easier to grow in an urban setting and, and has good survivability? Yeah, so I got into it um, not from the microgreen side at all, but actually going back to the container gardening we were talking about, just growing on my patio, and I didn't have um, much actual ground, much dirt, you know, to grow in. Um, and so I was doing it in containers, and it's really all about getting uh, setting up a system that makes it a lot more foolproof, that makes it a lot harder for you to fail. I think people don't realize how much of a task they take on when they try to just do it via these traditional methods, and they have all the stuff to learn. So. Um, I got into something called uh, sub-irrigated containers. And so the way this works, you can, what you can picture is uh, you've got a plant grown in, in potting soil in a container, uh, just like a container you might normally have, or it could even be a, a felt bag or something like that. And then basically hanging out of the bottom of that container is like a wick. And that wick can be made of a variety of different materials. Uh, it could be... It could be burlap or cotton or felt or something like that. But that wick hangs down. So it touches the soil in the bottom of the bag. And then it hangs down into some reservoir of water. And what's what's really cool is that through capillary action, these plants will just, it'll keep pulling water up from that reservoir into the soil, into the container. And capillary action is as simple as, you know, if you take a paper towel and you stick the end of it in a glass of water and it quickly rises up it, that's capillary action at, at work. And so these wicks will pull water up. And so this is a system that makes it really easy for people to to grow. Um, there's a variety of different you know products you can get out there for this. But with that, you can grow all sorts of stuff. So you can just wait, set wait, up wait. containers. And you mean to say that this is not going to overwater the plant? Like the plant will be grabbing the water as it needs it? You can't overwater. You can't. It's really hard to underwater because all you got to do is fill the tank once a week. right? So this is what got me into that. I, I made a big... Tray, you can almost think of it as like a little kiddie pool almost. You are and blowing my mind these, right now. Like, how is I, how does everyone not know about this? Well, you know, it's it's the issue is that there's not really great setups that just make it like super drop dead simple to get started with. Um, it requires a, a little bit of DIY, but it, it's I mean, really, it took out so much of the pain, and then the plants grow a lot faster because the thing is that water is a main limiting factor in the growth of the plant. So when the plant is has this whole reservoir of water that it can draw from below it. So it's constantly there and able to keep growing. Man, plants will grow so much faster than you would have realized. I mean, they will be, you know, plants jumping off, completely blowing your mind in terms of what they could produce. And all you got to do is fill the big tank, you know, once a week. And that that's where it gets easy. It's like, can I just fill a tank once a week and not worry about over, under, whatever? Yes, that I could do. That created the success. And suddenly I was like, I was like known among all my friends as this guy who had like, I mean, I had I had peppers and eggplants. I had like five different types of peppers and eggplants <laughs> and tomatoes and, and greens. And it, then it all just depends on your sun, right? I live in a sunny area of San Francisco. 
I know people don't think that that exists, but there are a couple neighborhoods that are sunny. I used to live and in so Bernal my, Heights. I don't know what people are talking about. There's, well, yeah, like half the city is really sunny. Yeah, half is sunny and then half's really foggy. So I, I lived in a sunny spot. And so I can grow a lot of things because I get enough sun. Suddenly the question basically becomes, how much sun do you have? How many hours a day? How intense? If you've got low light, you don't have a lot of sun, stick with greens. Stick with leafy greens and things like spinaches and uh, maybe some kale, Swiss chard. You'd be amazed that you could grow all of the greens that you can basically consume um, out on a patio. Even herbs and uh, things like mint and stuff will grow really well in these kinds of sub-irrigated containers. And look, even if you're just growing the herbs that you use to have, you know, homegrown cocktails with friends or to just have some herbs they've thrown into your food. I mean, everybody's so used to they buy that at the store. They get in a whole bunch. They pay a bunch of money. They only use a little. Then they're throwing out the rest. They feel bad about it. Yada, yada. The whole thing, you know, and it repeats every week. And that's no good. So just growing even a little bit of that growing herbs and things can be super high value. Greens are really easy. Um, all sorts of lettuces, things like that. Very fast growing. And then if you've got the hours of sun, if you have a place that you've got four to eight hours of sunlight direct in some spot, then you could start to get into uh, the fruiting crops, things that fruiting, meaning, you know, like an eggplant and a, a pepper and a tomato and things that produce some sort of, you know, hanging vegetable that you're going to uh, they're going to pull off the plant. OK. Cool, cool. Oh, and the other method, we should just mention that, uh, Chelsea, you reminded me of this when you, when you were describing the story about your your setup, is aquaponics. Mm. And we yeah. it's another awesome way to grow in an urban environment. And aquaponics just means, you know, we said hydroponics earlier, right? Which is just the water below and you add in the nutrients yourself. Well, in an aquaponics setup, you've got the plants and they're growing in, in water with some sort, of, some sort of medium down there. But in that water, that, that water is a giant fish tank. And so there are fish in there and it's actually the fish that are the fish waste are, is actually the nutrients that go up to the plant. So you basically got this closed system where the plants are filtering the water and helping make it cleaner for the fish. And then the fish are producing waste that feeds the plants and they grow and you actually grow plants and fish and tilapia is one of the big ones but you can grow them fast enough that you could be eating tilapia all the time and uh, growing the out an aquaponics plants setup. are also cleaning the water in the fish tank yeah this is this is a totally like self when you get it dialed in and that's the that's the trick here the reason aquaponics is hard is that getting it all dialed in and getting the levels right for everything is a little bit of a challenge but once it's in this is a closed loop where each of them it's a totally symbiotic relationship Man, and how cool, like, man, if you're just like a single guy or something and you invite a girl home on a date and you have this system, like, can you imagine that? Like, oh, here, let me cook you this dinner. Oh, yeah, this is like this tilapia from, oh, yeah, no, it's not a big deal. It's not, you know, it's no big deal. I grew it on my patio. Uh, I know. Amazing. I know. And that's that's the thing. I'm, I'm telling you, one day, I mean, GQ is going to have me on the cover and we're going to be telling guys, like, you don't need to buy our flowers. You can grow this stuff yourself, right? Or take our <laughs> You can make it yourself in a patio. You can go harvest it. Like it's way, you know, it's it's actually it's very cool to be able to just do that and to have that that kind of provider nature. And as Chelsea and I have both sort of demonstrated through our own failures and then coming into this and not having a green thumb, anybody really can do it. It's kind of a secret. I almost don't want to tell everybody, but like everybody could do this. I love it. I love it. So you guys are both very, very interested in the uh, kind of technology mixing with agriculture. And like you were saying earlier, Chelsea, there's a lot of um, kind of cool stuff happening right now with that. Could you guys give us sort of the rundown on um, sort of where we're at right now with uh, mixing technology and urban agriculture and what a little bit of the future maybe possibly could look like? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Anthony and I help um, curate a meetup called Urban Ag Tech. So we have everyone from engineers to, you know, architects, um, to farmers, to chefs, anybody who's in the, you know, close, you know, close to food. Right. Um, and what we're finding is we have one sector where they're hacking and they're building food computers. So a complete it's MIT open sourcing food computer that literally can grow everything with a recipe. It's literally coming up with recipes that have the perfect tomato the perfect, you know, um, zucchini. Um, it's very exciting. Um, and it's something that is, 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 you know, going very quickly. Um, but there's things like that. So we're seeing a lot of innovation uh, just in the communities, but, um, at large we're seeing, you know, NASA's working on, you know, with Mars farm odyssey to grow in Mars. You know, if we're going to live on right, Mars, at right. some point, how can we grow? We're going to have to grow there because, Otherwise, it would cost nearly one billion dollars per year for food for one person to get it shipped there. So <laughs> that's crazy. That's not going to happen, yeah, right? So yeah. there's things like that that um, you know. And then we also, um, you know, just had a meetup with Malika Cantor, and she works with Comet Labs. And Comet Labs just did um, a big study on, you know, the direction of urban ag and technology, and they're very um, optimistic and excited about um, AI in ag. So they're investing in many companies that are, you know, bringing those two together. So there is things on the, uh, you know, future, future of urban ag tech that are happening right now. So that food computer that you're talking about, uh, give us a little bit more detail about that. So is it just like a, a butler that like will water, <laughs> water your food for you and, and just take care of it all so you can just hang out? Hey, Anthony, you want to take that? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump on there. So uh, picture, picture a box that's on your table, a big box. And in that box, you have a completely controlled environment. So basically, you're going to control the climate, right? It's like, you know, having a little room that you're going to grow your plants in where you're going to dial in all the settings. So you got lights in that room and you have fans to control the wind and you can control the temperature. And so you can move all that stuff around. All those variables uh, affect the humidity of that's in that little box. And then you've got a tray and that tray is what supports all the plants. It has the kind of that's where the hydroponic grow media is and the waters below it. And so suddenly you've got a limited number of slots. You know, let's say it's 12 or it's 16, but you can scale it up. But you basically got a certain number of plants grown in this box, completely enclosed. And you're going to control all the settings because it's all hooked up to microcontrollers and then your computer. And you can say, hey, yeah, give these things 12 hours of light or 16 hours of light or even 24. Right. I mean, just to kind of point out sort of the obvious, but people don't think about this. Really, I, I certainly didn't. Is that a lot of the world's uh, the world record breaking vegetables? Well, you know where they come from? A lot of them come from Alaska. Yeah, they come from Alaska sense. because they've got 24 hours of daylight at different points. And so these plants are just growing on steroids the whole time. So that's the kind of stuff you can experiment with, right? You can say, leave the light on all the time, but maybe that stresses out the plant. And then you see that you get a plant that has some different characteristics versus, uh, you know, you do it at a more eight hours, but maybe you keep it warmer or you keep it cooler. Um, and I'm really excited for when they start to take these plants and then analyze them for the uh, nutrient content and start to look at how is this affecting all of these other kind of secondary compounds that are in the plant, things that help you fight cancer, things that uh, make you healthier in one way or another. And so really this, the food computer is, it's more of an experimental and kind of teaching tool. It's not about, let's go get the production out of this thing. It's let's figure out what those climate recipes are and those growing recipes are that are replicable. 
to make ideal food. food for yeah, whatever, for whatever the your is. goals are, right? Because your goals might be just grow me as much of this food as possible as fast as we can and don't worry about the nutrient density. Well, that's probably going to be one recipe versus another one where you're like, stress this plan out a bit, but I want as many kind of, you know, anti-cancer causing, you know, antioxidants, things like that um, in the plant as possible. And those are just going to be two different ways of growing the same plant Man. or maybe testing out different seeds. So I think that's really exciting. And I'm also really excited about uh, computer vision coming into this space because when you're indoors, well, one of the beautiful things is you can hook up cameras all over the place and cameras can look at these plants and they can look at the canopy of the plants and they can look at how they're growing and they can start to spot uh, changes in the colors of the leaves and the reflectance. And you can learn a lot about the plants and the nutrients and the bugs and the pests and everything from this. And so I think, you know, computer vision is going to be a big spot for this and um, like a little bit of a shameless plug, but with urban ag tech, we curate a digest that goes out every two weeks. And if people want to know about the latest tech and they want to hear what's happening, they should just they follow that. You know, we've got it's just chock full of articles and all sorts of interesting tidbits that you're going to sit down on an afternoon and be like, oh, this is great. I just want to click through all of these things. Um, that's how I feel. And I, you know, people should. Uh, it's definitely a great place to get some good information. Yeah, I'm definitely going to sign up for that. What? Yeah, that sounds awesome. All right. Let's uh, let's finish this thing up then, guys, with what would be the absolute easiest way for someone to get started today. It depends on someone's environment. So like, like Anthony was saying before, you know, if you have just a patio, if you have a backyard, if you have a community garden, if you have just a 600 foot studio, um, you know, it really depends on your environment. So based on, and I'll answer it from my background and then I'll let Anthony kind of answer it from his background. Um, for me, I was in a desert with a 600 foot studio and no time at all. I went, you know, students and had three jobs and, you know, all these different things. So with that being said, of course, again, um, microgreens was my first, you know, adventure because all I had to do was buy a kit. It had everything in it I needed. And all I had to do was basically put the soil in that, that came with the kit, spread the seeds, sow the seeds um, onto the kit and water it once a day. And I had food in a week. So for me, that was the least amount of hurdles. I could put it on my soups and salads and wraps and sandwiches and smoothies. I can impress my friends. Um, it was definitely the most exciting beginner's kind of step for me. Now, that did lead into other things. Um, you know, herbs are really easy if you have a sunny window. You can do that indoors. Um, like um, Anthony was saying, mint and um, basil, things like that are very hardy plants. Um, and then you can move into, let's say you have a patio and then I will actually defer that to Anthony because I'm actually not even as experienced. I just moved to San Francisco and I'm amazed at everything you can grow here. So I'm very excited to get started with all of that because Anthony and I are doing, um, with, um, urban ag tech, a meetup that's going to be all different growing methods, um, at the end of this month, no matter the space and the time that you have. Hmm. So it'll be based on what you like and you can kind of talk to each, um, professional in each, um, kind of way of growing. So awesome. we're excited for that to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, Anthony can probably talk better to the outdoor growing. Yep. And, and we're going to, we're going to live stream that event as well. It's the, uh, it'll be the fourth Tuesday of this month. And so people can, uh, can kind of tune in from wherever. And yeah, I, I also agree. I honestly, if you're going to get started, the microgreens, it could be as simple as you growing in a mason jar or a little cup and getting a little bit of tiny disc of coconut core, scattering some seeds, keeping it closed, seeing them actually uh, germinate, start to grow. And then, 
and grown from there. And it's, so you see that miracle, those first few steps of a seed actually starting. And I think that that's a really great place to begin and then going for a microgreens kit, like Chelsea said. Um, I'm obviously a huge fan of the sub-irrigated setups outside. And I'm there. Yeah, I kind of created one. There's a lot of resources around on YouTube and everything. You can see how people do, do this. It's, it's pretty simple. It does still require a little bit of work for people, but I love the sub-irrigated containers. It made my life so much easier. And honestly, if people are, if they're excited about those things, or if they want, they still can't find something in the right kit. I, honestly, I just say f fire us an email. You know, it's it's Chelsea at urbanagtech.com, Anthony at urbanagtech.com. We'd love to just help people out and, and help them start growing. And if we see a lot of interest, like we have thoughts on this stuff, designs, like we will find ways to to help them get started and then kind of point them in the right direction, the right resources, uh, the right products, that kind of thing. Awesome. I love it. Thank you guys both so much for uh, all the helpful advice. And yeah, we should definitely get signed up to your newsletter. That comes out, what, once every week, once every two weeks? Once every two weeks. Yeah. And they can find that on uh, urbanagtech.com and just look for the digest and, uh, and subscribe. And we, we'd love to have them join the community. Cool. Perfect, guys. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. Likewise. It was great chatting with you. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.